we're in week six of our series called Hello, My Name is Jesus, uh, where we are kind of taking an opportunity to look and be introduced to Jesus again for the first time. A lot of us know about Jesus, um, and we know a little bit about his personality, but we're kind of trying to look at some things that maybe we would have missed or not seen that really help us understand a little bit deeper of who Christ is. And basically, our theme verse that we've been looking at through this uh, series is Philippians 3, 10a in the Amplified Version. It says this. He says, for my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. Basically, what we're doing here is we're trying to know Jesus because I truly believe this. I think this is easily seen in my life and in many, many people's lives. The more we know Jesus, the more we love him. The more we experience him, the more we love him. The more we understand him, the more we love him. And so I love being able to take the diamond of Jesus and tilting it just so slightly so we see another facet of who he is and how he lived and and how he experienced life and how he dealt with people and things like that. And so we're kind of been dealing with some of the things that that maybe we don't talk about all that much. And today it's going to be that way as well. Today I want to introduce you to the shrewdness of Jesus. The shrewdness of Jesus. Now, I want to define that term so we all know what we're talking about. But shrewd basically means this. This is the ability to judge a situation accurately based on a clear understanding and good judgment and turn it into your own advantage. Now, we love to talk about the grace of Jesus and the love of Jesus and the mercy of Jesus. All that stuff is great. And the last couple of weeks, we talked about the humor of Jesus and the fierceness of Jesus and the generosity of Jesus. And today we're going to talk about the shrewdness of Jesus. And this is going to be fun. I'm really excited about this because this is one of those aspects of Jesus that I love. Mainly because it kind of fits my personality a little bit. But again, this is one of these opportunities where we can take the word and actually put some skin and flesh and bones on sometimes these, these things that we've known and seen for a long time. So we're going to talk about the shrewdness of Jesus. And we're going to start with this because this is kind of where Jesus starts. We're going to start with a very strange command. A very strange command. Look at Matthew 10, 16. Now, I want to kind of give you a little bit of background of where we're at, some context. Jesus is getting ready at this point to send out his disciples. Uh, They're going to go and they're going to heal the sick and and do some really cool things. And so he's talking to them and he's kind of giving them their instructions of what to do, how to handle themselves. And in Matthew 10, 16, it says this. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes... And as innocent as doves. Now, let's stop here for a second and let's look at this strange command. Because you have to understand what these guys were going to be hearing here. Okay, What they were thinking and where their mindset was of a Jewish person that was hearing Jesus' response and his command in this moment. Basically, what's happening here is Jesus is telling them to be like something. Now, if Jesus is asking them to be something, that means he is this. This means this is something that we need to mirror and use in our own daily lives. This is a command. He says, this is what I want you to be. Why? Because he understands that we and they are sheep among wolves. Listen, the world that we live in is not conducive to the belief system that we have from God's word. We are walking in as sheep with wolves all around us. And so Jesus is knowing this. Jesus doesn't look at his disciples and say, hey, man, listen, it's going to be great. Everybody's going to love you. Everybody's going to walk up and say, so I'm so glad that you're here. People are going to come and they're going to attack. And if you look at the rest of, of, of this, of this um, 
uh, verse or this, this chapter, Jesus begins to tell them all the things that are going to happen to them. But to a Jewish person, especially at this time, they're hearing this contrast here. They're hearing about a dove and they're hearing about a snake. Now, of course, they've experienced Jesus' baptism. They've experienced the dove coming down as the Holy Spirit. So, so we have this one instance here where we're seeing the dove and the Spirit. And now we're also, and then Jesus says, so be that innocent, be that holy, be that pure, be that kind of person. And then he also says, and then basically, be a snake. Now, when these guys heard this, where did their minds go? Remember, these guys are Jewish people that have grown up reciting the Torah, understanding the scriptures, and they basically go to the first place when they think of snake, and they're thinking of Satan. So here's Jesus, and this strange command basically says this. Jesus is telling them, be as pure and holy as the Spirit, and as shrewd and as cunning as Satan. You go back to Genesis, and it starts to talk about the snake, and it says basically, and the snake was the most cunning of all of the creatures. This is a strange command. This is one of those things where people are going, wait, 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 did Jesus just, what did Jesus just say? And Jesus is like, yeah. What a strange way to start this. What a strange way to start this command. Jesus is basically saying, listen, this is what I need you to do. Listen, to deal with the things that you're going to deal with, to, to be as effective as I need you to be. I need you to be as pure and innocent as the Holy Spirit, and I need you to be as shrewd as Satan. I love this. See, I love how Jesus is beginning this understanding as we look into this. And so now we continue. Now let's look at the shrewdness of Jesus on display. Let's look at some examples of Jesus being shrewd here. Okay? So we're going to start here with Matthew 22. Okay, now how are we going to do this? We're going to look at some of these scriptures. We're going to, we're going to talk about them. We're going to learn about them. And we're going to see how Jesus worked and how he maneuvered and how he did all these things. Because we've got to remember the context here. Okay? Now, I, I, Listen. I know how we're Western Christians, and this is wonderful and awesome, but we got to understand the context of the world that Jesus was living in. Okay? Jesus is living in the world of a hunted man. From the very beginning, he is a hunted man. He understands that. Remember, he has, he has gone in, he has been born as, as a, the son of man, he has invaded the enemy's territory, and ever since the beginning, he has been hunted. From, from Herod at the very beginning and escaping to Egypt in the night to basically scripture references where people are wanting to stone him or push him off cliffs or, or he has to sneak away, whether it be from them wanting to make him a king or wanting to, to throw him off a cliff. He is constantly moving and maneuvering through things. He's dealing with a hundreds and hundreds of years of, of understanding of the scriptures that he's trying to break apart and trying to help people have freedom from. He is working in all these things and he's being hunted and he's being looked at as a threat because that's who he is he's a threat to the enemy's world and so he has to be smart he has to outsmart and he has to use what he's been given and this is an example of this in Matthew 22 it says and the Pharisees met together to plot how to trap Jesus into saying something for which he could be arrested okay so that's this was happening here the Pharisees are trying to get him in trouble he says they basically meet and it says along with the supporters Herod which is his teacher they said We know how honest you are. You teach the way of God truthfully. You are impartial and don't play favorites. I love how they kiss up to Jesus right here. Okay? So they start off and they're looking at Jesus and they're going, Oh boy, you're awesome. You're so great. We love you. Oh, you're just so impartial and you're so great. Now tell us what you think about this. 
Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now let's stop there and let's see what's going on here. Basically, the Pharisees are saying, basically, listen, we're going to trap you. If you say we shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar, we're going to go report you to the Romans that you're trying to keep us from paying taxes. If you say, nope, 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 you've got to pay taxes to Caesar, that's a problem. Well, then we're going to go all to the Jewish people and say, oh, look, he supports Rome. They're trying to trap him. They're trying to basically have a situation, no matter what he says, he's in trouble. So that's the situation. He says, is it right or not? He says, but Jesus knew their evil motives. You hypocrites, he said. Why are you trying to trap me? Here, show me a coin used for the tax. When they handed him a Roman coin, he asked, whose picture and title are stamped on it? So he grabs a coin and asks that question. Caesar, they replied. Well, then, he said, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. His his reply amazed them and they went away. I love this man. This man's awesome. He walks in, they're like, oh, we got him. Oh, we're going to trap him. Oh, he's going to be so awesome. And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, let's play. Bam, bam. And they just sit there with their jaws. Oh, I don't know if you've ever felt this way. Like, I wish, like, they actually did make a time machine. You know, like a DeLorean, you know, or something, 88 miles per hour, whatever that is. And we could go back. Because I would love just, I mean, these are the Pharisees. These are the pious. These are the, mm, and Jesus just wipes the floor with them. And I could just imagine their mouth just going. Did he just, did he just, and, they, and then they wander off. I love this. Now listen, this is what's interesting about this. Because we as Christians, and this is, we've got to understand, this, this is not arguing. This is not even debating. This is Jesus in his authority and in his cunning and his shrewdness going, I know what you're doing. I know what this is about. Wham. Listen, I love to argue. I know that's horrible to say. I like to debate. I like to have those discussions. But you know what? Listen to me. Hear me. Hear my heart here. Okay. I think Christians are spending way too much time debating with people instead of giving them the truth of God and saying, I stand on this. I don't need to argue with you because this is what Jesus has said. Jesus laid it and walked away. Or let me rephrase that. They walked away. Let's look at another one. I love these. Matthew 21. It says, when Jesus returned to the temple and began teaching, the leading priests and elders came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? Who gave you the right? So they're demanding Jesus. You've got to have to give us an answer. Okay? Let's move on. It says, I tell, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you will answer one question, Jesus replied. So Jesus turns the tables. He says, listen, I'll answer you, but you answer this question of me first. Did John, John the Baptist, John's authority to baptize come from heaven or was it merely human? So he asked them a question. He says, listen, we'll deal with this. I'll answer your question, but answer mine first. It says, they talked it over among themselves. And this is what they said. Listen, if we say it was from heaven, he will ask us why we didn't believe John. But if we say it was merely human, it will be mobbed because the people believed John was a prophet. So basically, what we did was he he did the same thing to them that they were trying to do to him in chapter 22. He says, so they finally replied. We don't know. We don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Off he goes. Shuts them up. Closes them down. What brilliance. 
I love the way Jesus maneuvers in this world. Because remember, this is not, listen, this is not the world, if this will make sense, of Christmas Eve Christmas pageants. Okay? This is the world of crucifixion. This is the world of the Colosseum. This is not a happy-go-lucky place. This is a place that he had to maneuver and work through because this world was after him, trying to destroy him, trying to destroy his plan. And so he works all these things out. Let me ask you a question. I'm going to ask you several times during this, this, this situation. Does this remind you of how you operate in a world of darkness? Does it make sense? Are you seeing this? Because here's what we see, and this, this is the best part. The shrewdness of Jesus to capture a heart. Okay, Because he does this in many, many ways. Now, this is, this is my favorite thing. To, I mean, I was, I've been so excited about talking about this. Because this is one of those stories, and you know what I'm talking about here, that has been a flannel board story ever since there's been flannel boards. The greatest missionary tool ever. The flannel board. Or Superbook. Yeah. I love Superbook. And this is a wonderful story. But we're going to dissect it a little bit closer. Because Jesus could have done this in many, many, many different ways. But he chose to do it this way. Because Jesus loves to capture hearts. Okay? Jesus loves to capture hearts. And look at John chapter 4. This is the story of the woman at the well. Some of us have heard this story a lot of times. So Jesus, instead of going where he was going, he goes, takes a detour. He goes through Samaria, and he ends up at this well. Now, he's here by himself. He sent his disciples off, and he's by himself, okay? And then this story begins to unfold. It says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. Now, let's stop here and let's remember a couple of things very quickly. Number one, Jesus is Jewish. This is obviously Samaritan. Samaritan and Jewish people did not have anything to do with each other. Okay? This, was, this was a cultural taboo. This was not a good situation. Plus, Jesus is a male. This is a female. Again, another situation that is not a good situation. Okay? So, so, so he asked her for a drink. Okay, she's at the well, she asked for a drink. And now if we continue, it says this, the woman was surprised. Why is she surprised? Because this just didn't happen. This was a strange thing, okay? And so for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, at this time, there's lots of different things that can happen here. Now, what we want to do here is we want to stop for just a second and understand that these are human beings that are flawed and are much like us, okay? And I remember as a kid hearing this story and thinking, oh, man, this woman was probably just so sweet and so wonderful. Listen, I don't believe she was. Because her response, and as we open this up and look at her response, her response is not very respectful. And it's almost like, well, we'll talk about it in a second. She's picking a fight with Jesus. Okay? So she says, why are you asking me for a drink? Now, normally, she probably, if she was more, you know, of a, a typical, if that makes sense, woman of the time, she would have just got him a drink. But she questions him. She says, what, what, why are you asking me for a drink? And Jesus responds to her in a very interesting way. He says, starting with verse number 10. He says, Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift of God, the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me, 
and I would give you living water. So Jesus' response to this kind of sassiness and this kind of like, what are you doing kind of an attitude is like, do you, you have no idea who you're talking to. He doesn't respond in, he responded in a very interesting way here. He's like, do you, you know, this is going to sound weird, but kind of Jesus gives him the, do you know who I am? Kind of an attitude. And so what's her response after that? She says, wait a minute. She said, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. Now, I remember reading this as a kid and even older as I got older. And I'm seeing, just forgive me and go with me for a second. I'm seeing this like typical Christian experience kind of talk where this woman is like, oh, but sir, you don't have a bucket. I don't think that's what she's doing here. I think she's copping an attitude. I think she's like, you want some water? You ain't got no bucket. And the well's deep. How you going to get your bucket, teacher? How you going to get your bucket, rabbi? How you going to get your water? What you going to do? I think that's what we're seeing here. She's like, huh, you're so smart. You think you know everything. You have living water. You don't got a bucket. How you going to get it? And then she continues picking a fight. She says, where are you going to get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave up this well? How can you offer better water than he and his son and his animals enjoyed? show you come and asking me for water now remember jesus could have walked into this situation with angels and lights and and smoke machines and gone i am the messiah how about a drink and he doesn't he comes very slowly very coyly very very shrewdly into the situation why because this is what this woman needs now, as we, as we unpack a little bit more about who she is, we're going to see why Jesus kind of goes this way. So now he continues. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks of this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give them will never be thirsty again. It becomes fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And let's continue on with verse number 15. And then the woman responds, please, sir. The woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never have to be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. Now something begins to switch. Now, remember, she's had an attitude. She hasn't been real, real happy with this guy who's bothering her. And all of a sudden, something is beginning to switch in her. All of a sudden, from this attitude, you ain't got no bucket, it becomes this, well, wait a minute. I need this. Why does she need this? Why is she so interested in not having to come here to get water? It's because in just a minute, we're going to see why she's there. And we, we kind of skipped over this earlier, but why she's there at a time of day where basically she's there alone with Jesus. All of a sudden, now Jesus is beginning to draw her in. He's like, listen, I have something for you. And she's like, oh, okay, tell me, what is this? What is this? And now he continues. And now in that moment where she's leaning close, in that moment where she's like, I want to know a little bit more, Jesus' response is, go get your husband. The woman replies, I don't have a husband, the woman says. And then Jesus, just like one of those magicians who have the table with all the stuff on it, but aren't very good at being a magician, he takes it and he goes, and everything goes, and he says, you're right. You don't have a husband. 
for you've had five husbands and you are, aren't even married to the man you are living with now. You certainly spoke truth. I have wondered so many times at that moment, does she drop her bucket? Does she have that moment where Jesus nails her and basically Jesus rocks her world and all of a sudden she just goes, <gasps> Jesus has got her. I love this. I love how our Jesus will maneuver for our hearts. I love how Jesus will walk into a situation and he knows just what to say at just the right moment. And all of a sudden, now she begins to collect herself. And she does what we do so many times. Now she tries to deflect it off of her. She says, sir, the woman said, you, you must be a prophet. So, so tell me, uh, let, let, let's talk about religious things again. Let's go back over here. As I don't want to deal with the stuff that I have to deal with in my heart. I don't, want to know, I don't want you to know all the secrets that I've been hiding. So let's go and do this and let's move over here. You ever done that? God begins to deal with your heart. God begins to do something inside of you, amazing. He begins to transform you. And what do you do? Ah, God, I don't want to deal with this. God, I I want to talk about something else. God, I want to do something else. God, you know who really needs to hear this? It's my wife or it's my husband or it's my kids. And God's trying to deal with you and begins to deflect. And this is what this woman tries to do. He says, so tell me. Tell me, where should we worship? Where should we worship? Let's continue on. It says, Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it is no longer matter where you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship while we Jews know all about him. Let's continue on. It says, for salvation comes to the Jews, but the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. He's drawing her in. He's bringing her close. He's saying, listen, you're focusing on other things right now. Focus on me. Focus on what I'm doing. And the woman says in a moment of just, just unbelievable humility and unbelievable wanting and longing because she knows all the stuff that's been going on in her heart and all the stuff that's been going on in her life, all the stuff that she knows she shouldn't be doing in Mirabardo. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming. The one who's called Christ, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And basically what she's saying is simply this, are you who I think you are? And Jesus goes, yep. And everything changes. And he's got her. Remember, he could have walked in. Hey, so you know, hi, how are you? My name's Jesus, I'm the Messiah. Listen, I know all that you're doing. I know all that you're hiding. Listen, it's probably not a good idea for you to do that. Mountains and lights and plate. And he doesn't. Why? Because he wants to capture her heart. And this is how he chooses to do it. What a beautiful story. What what brilliance. What maneuvering. What ability to take those things and wind her through an experience that changes everything inside of her and changes her life. What she do later on in this chapter? She goes. She goes to her village and she says basically, listen, come beat the man who knows everything and changed me. I love this. I love how Jesus captures our heart. Another one I want to talk about is equally awesome and equally beautiful. It's in Mark 10. You know the story. Most of you do. It says, as Jesus started out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When you, why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commands. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and your mother. So let's kind of 
tell you what's happened here. Basically, the man's walked up. He's kind of fallen down on his knees, kind of dramatic, actually. And basically says, Jesus, what do I have to do to, you know, you're so wonderful, good teacher, and all these things. He's getting starts to flattery. Jesus' response is, listen, listen, don't flatter me, okay? You know the commands, do them. That's his response. You know the commands, do them. Then the rich man says, teacher, I've obeyed these commands since I was young. Now, now, we need to catch this next verse. This is beautiful. Don't miss this. Okay? Because a lot of times we read this story and, oh, we're talking about money. Okay? Stop. Focus. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I want to ask you a question. Please answer it inside your head. Don't raise your hand. Just think. How many of you, if you've heard this story before, realized that was there? Oh, we know how the story ends. But do you see that Jesus turns, looking at the man? It's like, let me kind of put this in perspective. Jesus is walking. He's trying to get out. A guy falls down before him, right in front of his feet. And he begins to say, oh, good teacher, what do I have to do? Jesus says, look, listen, don't flatter me, okay? Listen, listen, here's the deal. You know the commands, do them. And Jesus sidesteps and he keeps walking. Now, on purpose, Jesus knows what he's doing. Okay, so off he goes. And the guy replies, Jesus, I've been doing that since I was a youth. And you can just see Jesus stops. And he turns and he looks at this man. And the Bible records that he felt genuine love for him. I love that. Feel gen- and he says, listen, there is still one thing you haven't done. Okay? Now remember, according to this guy... Jesus has spoken, and now Jesus is moving. So he's going away, okay? And the man responds, listen, I'm doing all that. What else do I got to do? And so Jesus stops, and he goes, okay, great. Listen, but one more thing. He said, go and sell all your possessions to give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Listen to the invitation that Jesus is presenting this young man. He's basically saying, listen, listen. Oh, that's great. You're doing all those things. Awesome. One more thing. One more thing. Sell it all and follow me. The man responds. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. Now listen, you need to understand what Jesus is doing here. What Jesus has just done here that's brilliant. Okay? Jesus has looked at this man and the man has admitted and said, listen, I'm doing all the stuff I'm supposed to do. And it's not like Jesus is like, oh, well, that's not important. Jesus says, that's good. That's good. But you're lacking one thing. And what Jesus does here is he doesn't just say the money is the issue because that's not what he's talking about here. You need to understand something. There were people that followed Jesus that were wealthy. We've messed this up, okay? It's been hijacked on both sides of this debate, okay? But this, Jesus here is not necessarily talking about money being bad or good or whatever. What he's done is he's identified an idol in this man's life. He's identified that one thing that is keeping him from the situation. Because here's what's interesting. Why does the man have to even come to Jesus in the first place? He's doing all the stuff, but he knows there's something apart that needs to happen. And he doesn't quite know what it is. 
He's going, what do I need to do? I'm doing all these things, but there's just something there that just doesn't feel right. There's just something there that isn't connecting. And he goes to Jesus to figure out what that is. And Jesus, in this unbelievable way, in a way that basically identifies the sin, identifies the idol, but at the same time invites him to come and be a part, he identifies it and basically says this in so many ways. Listen, you are no better than the guy that has carved himself a statue and is sitting in his tent in dark with with, 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 with incense going, chanting weird things. You're no better than they are. And it begins, it's like Jesus takes like the tapestry of his life and he finds that little string that would undo the whole thing and he goes, Whoa. and the man goes, wow. Oh, no. And the Bible records that he goes away. Now, this is an interesting story. And a lot of us have seen this. And I, I want to help us see this maybe a little bit differently. Because most of the time when I've heard this or looked at this or even studied it, the things I usually see is, is, is a negative ending to this story. Okay? A negative ending. But let's, let's, let's continue. Let's look a little deeper. It says basically, but Jesus says again. Yeah, thank you. At this, no, go back. You got it. I'm sorry. There you go. Thank you, Nathan. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is. For the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now listen, this amazed them. Okay? Now let's go on. It says, but Jesus said again, dear children, it is very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now let's continue. It says, then the disciples were astounded. Then who in the world can be saved? They're going, what, what, how, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? It says, Jesus looked at them intently. I love the, the description that we get here. He looks at them intently. He looks at, listen, you need to catch this, is what Jesus is saying here. You need to get this. It says, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. Now, now listen, you got to do this. You can't just read the scriptures and these stories and not see the context of this. What has just happened? The man has gone, oh, no. I don't believe he's gone, oh, no, because he's rich. I think he goes, oh, no, because he realizes he's got an idol in his heart that Jesus has identified. And he goes away. Now, you got to picture this. So this man is walking off, just crestfallen, just, oh, Oh, I thought I had it all together, and I don't. And Jesus is watching this man. And the disciples are going, wait a minute. What or how? What are we going to do? And you can just tell. Remember, remember, we've looked at this. We've got to see the, the, the moment of that twinkle in Jesus' eye. We've got to be able to see that moment where our father and his son just begin to express something deeper that maybe we would have missed. He's looking at the man. Because they basically said, how in the world? How's anybody going to do this? And he looks and he says, humanly speaking, you're right. It is impossible. And at the same time, he's looking. He says, but with God, all things are possible. It's like Jesus is kind of looking at his disciples and go, he'll be back. He'll be back. Why do I believe that? Because he came to Jesus in the first place. And Jesus knows exactly how to capture that heart. Jesus knows exactly how to work in there to basically say, no, 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 no. This is what you need. This is how it works. 
Jesus could have walked up to the guy, immediately said something. He didn't. He walked him through a journey. He walked him through a process. He walked him through an understanding so that that, when that man walked away, he knew to follow Christ in the way that Jesus had for him. He was going to have to lay down that idol and follow Jesus. You see what he did? You see how he maneuvers? You see the shrewdness of how Jesus wanders through these minefields of our hearts. Why? Because he loves us. Because he desires to change us. And sometimes that takes a move of God in that way that is so cool and so incredible and so special. So let me ask you this question as we get ready to close. How would Jesus have me be spirit-like and snake-like today? Remember Matthew 10? How can we be spirit-like and snake-like. We're going to look at Luke 16 because we, we're going to talk about one of these parables that, that honestly is one of those that we kind of, as pastors and as teachers, we kind of skip over because it's almost like, what is Jesus trying to communicate here? What is, what is this all about? But let's look at it together in Luke 16. It says, Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Uh, Give an account of your management because you cannot be a manager any longer. So basically, you know, this makes sense to us. Basically, the the guy calls in the guy and says, listen, you're you're not doing your job very well. You're wasting my money. I'm firing you. Get your order, get everything together because you're out, man. And so the manager said to himself, what shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. So I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm, not ashamed, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he, he devises this plan to get things, make sure he's taken care of. He says, so he calls in each one of his master's debtors. How, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he said. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450 Oh, okay. Then he asked the second, and how much do you owe? Oh, a thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Okay? So, so, so what's happening here? Basically, all these guys owe all this stuff, and he calls them and he says, listen, listen, how much do you owe? Okay, that much? Okay, cut it in half. Cut it in. Now, you gotta, if, if you were the guy that owed the, the bushels of wheat or the olive oil, you're like, thank you. Oh, this is great, man. Thank you so much. He's being dishonest. And look at verse 8. It says, The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For, and this is interesting. It says, For the people of this world are most shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the children or people of the light. I tell you, use worldly, or worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What? 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 Jesus, what are you trying to tell us here? Now, now, some people have had a problem with this because they were like, Jesus, are you trying to tell us to be dishonest? Are you trying to... No, 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 no. Don't miss what the point is here. Jesus is giving an example, and Jesus, in lots of parables, shows things that are not appropriate to help us to understand basically biblical truths. He's not condoning the man's actions. 
What he is saying is he is condoning the shrewdness on how he handled the situation. What was his situation? The situation was basically he was going to be out of a job. He wasn't going to have anything. So he was going to be really, really nice to some people so that later on when he had nothing, he can get a little knock on the door. Hi, hi, remember me? Yeah, you remember the bushels of wheat? Yeah, you remember the olive oil? Yeah, yeah, can I come in and stay for a while? Absolutely, come on in. This man knew there was going to be an account that was going to need to be given. He understood that at some point in time, there was going to be a reckoning that was coming. So what did he do? He began to go to work. He began to work shrewdly to make sure that he had a place to stay when all this went down. And Jesus kind of is bemoaning the fact that basically, listen, people that are doing this, people of the world, are more shrewd than people of the light. He's saying they understand the situation and they're dealing with it better than we are. Listen, this is what we need to understand. If we pursue the kingdom of God with the same vigor and zeal that the people of this world pursue profits and pleasure, we would live in an entirely different world. What if how we handled people and how we handled our finances and how we handled situations that we come in, how about, how about we started to act in a way that was almost looking a couple steps ahead? I do not play chess. If the worship team wants to come on up, we're going to close. I do not play chess because that game makes my head hurt. I have a hard enough time just getting all the pieces where they belong, let alone knowing which pieces can slide diagonally and which pieces can do this and what pieces. Yeah, checkers is about my level, you know. And even there, sometimes Easton beats me, you know. So, but one thing I've learned about chess and, and people that play it well is they're able to see several steps ahead. They're able not to just see what their opponent is doing. They're able to see further on. Okay? Jesus here is saying, listen, listen, and this is what we need to understand here. He is asking us not to just to be pure and holy. He's asking us to be smart. He's asking us to look at the situation and with his wisdom, respond accordingly. You see, here's what's so beautiful. Jesus is calling us now with his help and his leading to capture hearts. I don't know about you, but I've seen the guy on the street corner with the placard and the Bible and the megaphone and the yelling. And you know what's interesting about that? I've seen those pictures. I've seen it live. And there isn't a single person that's given their heart to Jesus in that very moment. Not one. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. I'll walk by and I'll cringe and I will literally start to pray. And please forgive me. I'll literally start to pray, God, please, please don't allow what this person is doing to ruin what you are doing in the lives of people. What if we started dealing with the people in our family or people at our work or the people in our school in not a dishonest way, but in a shrewd way, in a cunning way, 
in a way where we listen to what they're saying and what they're going through, not so that we can take advantage of them, don't be ridiculous, but so that we can understand where they're at in their lives. You see, Jesus has this advantage of he knows everything. And we have this advantage of knowing Jesus who knows everything. And he will give us insight and knowledge if we'll just listen. He may do it in many, many ways, but I feel like the way he does it a lot of times in situations like this is when we actually just listen to the people that we're around. You see, the best use of the shrewdness of Jesus is when God captures hearts. Where God lays, and please understand what I'm saying here, lays that perfect trap and somebody unspeknown to them wanders and all of a sudden they're caught. You ever thought about that moment where Jesus caught you? You ever thought about that moment where instead of jaws of steel, it was jaws of love, just went and captured your heart. You see, this is where the hunted in Jesus becomes the hunter. This is where we understand that, yes, we are walking as sheep among wolves, but you know what? We will be be pure and holy as the Spirit and as cunning as Satan to capture hearts for him. Sometimes, guys, it's more than just, you need Jesus, you're going to hell. Sometimes it has to be with a little more tact than that. And we have an unbelievable example of an unbelievable Jesus who knows and can lead us through that journey. I'm going to close with this. Emily and I, my wife and I, have a very interesting story. Our relationship was, was, was we were together for a while and then we weren't. And, and I'm not going to go into the details, okay? But it was something. And I remember, I remember talking to some people and I, I said to them, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if Emily and I are going to end up together. I said, but you know what? I always wanted a good story to tell my grandkids about how I met their grandmother. And there's a story, there's, there's a journey that God brought us down. And we ended up capturing each other's hearts. Was it easy? No. Was it simple? No. Were there tears? Yes. Were there moments of great difficulty? Yes. But now, stepping back and looking at it, I can see God's hand and his shrewdness just taking you. Okay, Aaron, don't go there. Okay, Emily, you need to come over here. Follow me. Go. Good. 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 Perfect. Perfect. Aaron, I need to do this in your life so you'll understand this, so you'll do a better job being a husband to Emily. Yeah, I know you don't think you're going to marry her, but you know what? I got you, and I'm going to work it. Here it comes. All right. Caught. Question simple. Who in your life has God placed you strategically in their life to catch them for Him? Because you know what? I think the days of just handing a track is over. I think the days of just going up to somebody and screaming at them, thankfully or hopefully, over. I think the days of having deep relationship with them and working with them and letting the Spirit in that moment direct you 
to pull the rug out from under them. Not in a cruel way, guys, but in a way that says, listen, right now, you need Jesus. And watch in that moment for amazing things to take place. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We come to you right now and we're asking for something that quite honestly, I bet you most of us have never asked you for before. We're asking for cunning. We're asking for shrewdness. We're asking for uh, the, the wisdom to know when to speak, when to be quiet, when to go left, when to go right. Jesus, you worked your way through a minefield. You worked your way through an area of enemy territory. We are no different than your disciples long ago. We are sheep uh, out for the, and, and wolves, and they are after us. The enemy is not going to sit back and sit by and basically say, oh, yeah, 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 go ahead. Do something cool in somebody's life. Yeah, 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 I know all things are possible for God, but, you know, th- you know that doesn't mean you have to do I mean, You, The enemy is going to come, and he is going to fight, and he is going to do all that he can to stymie what you are doing in us. And, Jesus, you've commanded us to not just be holy, not just be pure, not just be loving, not just give mercy and grace, but to be cunning and to be shrewd and to be able to look at those situations with not our wisdom, but your wisdom. So many times, Jesus, you've told us, when you don't know what to say, I'll put words in your mouth. And God, right now, we need your words because our words just aren't really good enough. But your words change everything. So right now, Jesus, I pray in my life and in our lives that we would be more like you. We'd be more shrewd. We'd be more cunning. We'd be smarter than we've been. We would let your wisdom and the words that you speak come through us so that we can make a difference in the lives of the people that we come in contact with. And God, I truly believe with everything that's in me, That, Father, that people will come to know you because of the shrewdness that you're helping us understand this morning. And so God changes from the inside out. Jesus, we're not just doing this to fall more in love with you. We're doing this so we can become more like you. And you've told us in Luke, listen, I want you to be shrewd. I want you to be smart. I want you to look at situations and use them to not your advantage, but to my heavenly advantage. And so Jesus, we love you. Jesus, I love this aspect of your personality. And I want to be more like you. I want us to be more like you. So come and help us. We love you.